lot there to go through. And uh, I'm going to start off by uh, giving you a report with what happened there in in Florida. But before that, I just want to open up with a, a verse of Scripture. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. The Word of God says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I remember last year when I gave the report for the, the prison missions conference that it was very upbeat and very dynamic and a lot of wonderful stories to tell about the prisoners being saved and and rejoicing and, and uh, just the wonderful atmosphere that it was. Well, this was a wonderful experience as well, but it was much different. And first, I want to I thank every one of you that prayed for us because uh, I, I believe the Lord definitely heard your prayers as we went down there together and uh, ministered to those prisoners. And this was the third missions conference that, that was held at this facility. Inside this particular prison is a core group of, of about 60 to 70 men who are growing in the Lord and uh, who are trying to make a difference for the Lord in spite of their past. Uh, many of these men will never see freedom again, and they know it and they take complete resp- responsibility for it. But asking the Lord to forgive them, um, they're trying to make their life count there in the prison. This whole prison ministry all began with one man named Hank, who had made some wrong choices and ended up in prison for involuntary manslaughter. He grew up in a Christian in a Christian school, a Christian environment, and then got away with the got away from the Lord and and the DUI and manslaughter, and now he's in prison. Um, he's not now, but he was. He served his time. But after getting right with God, he contacted his home church, which just happened to be First Baptist Church in Ruskin. Uh, Brother Barry Rumsey, many of you know him. He he works with bio, and that's where Josh and Amy are ministering now there in Ruskin, Florida. That was his home church. So he contacted his home church, and he asked them for prayer cards. And he began, Hank began, a, a prayer ministry there in prison, a, a missionary prayer band. Well, he was released, right before he was released from prison, he was transferred to Avon Park Correctional Institution. And uh, that's where he met Nathan um, Nathan is another prisoner that made some poor choices and is there in prison for a long time. But Nathan grew up in an independent Baptist church and as well had gotten his heart right with God and wanted to do something for the Lord. And their paths crossed just long enough for Hank to transfer his burden to Nathan. Nathan and Hank, as long as Hank was there, continued the prayer ministry. And eventually this prayer ministry grew into a full-fledged missions conference. And that's what I say. This one, this year, was the third one. Terry and I participated last year as speakers, and uh, you remember us sharing how 
what an amazing experience it was for both of us. And since that time, Bio has agreed to be a clearinghouse for the church inside the prison to receive their missionary support. Um, the prisoners transfer their money uh, to the Florida Department of Corrections, and the Florida Department of Corrections sends Bio a check every month. And whatever comes in, that money is divvied up between the missionaries that they have agreed to support. Um, you might wonder how prisoners make money. Well, they don't make a lot of money, um, especially in Florida, but lo- some family members send them money, and so they have money to go to the canteen and buy soap or, or um, coffee or other kind of foods or any other accessories they might need that's not provided them by the prison system. So their, their loved ones might send them money. And also some of them do side hustles. They have other jobs that they do to earn the credits that the other prisoners have. And there's kind of its own little economic system within the prison. But anyway, these prisoners can also take their credits and transfer them to an account that's been set up. And that money gets transferred out to the Florida Department of Corrections who sends it to us so that they can support missionaries. Um, this year, there was a new chaplain, and according to Nathan, this has been a good thing because the other cha- the other chaplain was more hands off, and there was a lot of things going on that probably shouldn't go on. But this this chaplain was hardcore, and uh, his philosophy was that that prisoners should be instructed and not lead anything. So he wanted this whole conference thing to be coming from the outside. So because I was there last year, and because I knew Nathan and uh, from the past, and because uh, First Baptist Church was associated with this prison ministry be, through Hank, uh, I was I ended up planning and organizing the whole thing on the outside. So it fell to me to organize and to plan this. But I got along good with the chaplain; he's a good guy, and um, we were able to organize it um, this year. I had Brother Terry with me, and then four missionaries. Brother Jason Christensen went with me, and uh, I asked Brother Jeremy Mir. He's a bio missionary in Thailand, working with the Chinese. He was in China. He came with us. And then Nathan had mentioned that he wanted a Bible-translating missionary to come, so I contacted um, one of our missionaries, translates the scriptures in 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 Thai, uh, Thai project in Nepal, and so I contacted his group, and he sent a missionary down to us as well. His name is Matthew. I won't tell you his full name, but Matthew came with us, and then another missionary who uh, has a ministry in the Dominican, who's also already supported by the prisoners. We all got together. We all flew down and met there at First Baptist Church, and we drove out to the the prison. Now, from the very beginning, um, it seemed like one step forward, two step backwards. Uh, I got there, and Amy and Josh, I was staying with them, and they're all sick. <laughs> they're they're sick. We got there, and it seems like it seemed like everything was a struggle. And when we got to the prison, um, we were, we had it all organized. I also, besides the missionaries that I had coming, I had. Um, like four different videos all lined up to show to the prisoners, video reports from the other missionaries that they already support, um, one of them being Matthew Parrott, had them all lined up. But when we got to the, to the prison and we processed through, we started the service and they were singing and 
getting ready, and I just felt like something was missing, something was wrong. And immediately I could tell that the devil was fighting hard. Um, the other circumstances that led up to the whole process of getting there, um, we got done with the singing, and we were going to show a, a missionary video, Matt Parrott's video, and the video didn't work. I mean, everything was just, um, it was like knocking your head against the wall, a completely different experience from the way it was the year before. And I could just feel it. I could just feel it seemed like to me that Satan was fighting against the meeting. Um, that was confirmed to me. After we had a couple of sessions, um, we finally got the video to work, and uh, we, got, we broke up to have um, lunch. No, it was dinner. First Baptist Church had uh, ordered 60 pizzas for enough for about 120 guys. And uh, we, actually, when we went to go get the pizza, a, um, a monsoon developed right over the prison and just drenched Jeremy and Matt as they went to go carry in all the pizza. That pizza had to all be approved and processed, you know, through security. But uh, when we got there, the, all of us missionaries that were there, uh, Brother Terry, Brother Jason, and the other missionaries, we all spread out with about 120 men. It was pretty crowded, each one of us at different tables. And as I was talking with the guys, I learned something very interesting. One of the men in the church, that in the prison church, that was very faithful. I met him last year. He was actually a law clerk, and he was he helped a lot of the prisoners file briefs and stuff like that that pertained to their case. But he was a strong believer in the church within the prison. He was overcome with PTSD and depression for, for decisions that he made in another prison, and he hung himself the night before the conference. And... Um, I could tell then exactly what was going on and why the spirit was just not the same. And I, I could tell that Satan was not happy and that Satan was doing everything he could to dampen and to stop what God was doing in this prison. Well, we, after we finished supper, uh, we went back to the service and we, we had a couple of more um, teachings, preachings, and then um, we, I preached the, that first night at the very end. And when I was preaching, I finally felt like we were making some headway. And by the end of the service, um, there were several men that came, came forward and rededicated their lives to the Lord. And we ended up on a positive note. But I'm telling you, I could tell the whole time that it really felt like a fight. It wasn't like the year before where everything was just, up, up, up. It was, a, it was a real fight. The spirit and everything. But I, I believe through your prayer that God was answering and that in spite of Satan fighting us, the devil fighting us, that God answered the prayer. Um, the next day, we showed up early in the morning. We had to meet at the church about 6 o'clock. The prison was about 90 miles away. And so we got there and we drove in two cars. And when we got there, we had to get there extra early because Saturday is visitation day, and a lot of people get there to visit their relatives, which is really sad to see all the kids lined up to see their, their dads at the prison. But anyway, um, we got there, and we were able to go, go get ready to get processed. And uh, when I went up there and told the lady why we were there, she said, just stand back a second and uh, wait. 
And when she said that, I saw a first responder from the base come and some sheriff officers come and uh, found out later there had been a medical emergency there in the prison, and the whole prison was locked down. So there again, I'm thinking, well, the devil's still fighting. Uh, We waited there for a considerable amount of time, and eventually we were allowed to be processed through. And uh, when we got to the chapel where, where everyone was meeting for the conference, we were the only ones there. Not one prisoner was there. They were still on lockdown. So we waited for a little while, and eventually the prisoners started trickling in. When they got in there, they had to set everything up, and so we ended up getting started at least 30, 40 minutes late. And we only had a certain amount of time there to do what we wanted to do. Um, Again, we started with the service and the singing. Uh, Brother Terry spoke, uh, uh, other missionaries, Brother Jason spoke, and Brother Matt, others spoke. And um, again, I felt like Satan was really fighting us hard. But the spirit began to build, and we rolled with it, and... We ended up uh, serving lunch. Another church provided sub sandwiches for about 120 guys, plus soda and chips. So we ate lunch with them and, uh, and then finished the conference. And uh, even at the end of the conference, it was, it was kind of anticlimactic. I, I spoke on missions and missions giving at the end, and it, it just, I'm still remembering last year and how exciting it was. And this year it was just, it was a fight all the way. Well, the good news about the end of this conference was that um, Nathan got up, and he was kind of the leader of that ministry of the of the church, and and he voted to take on three more missionaries. So they added Jason to their missionary family, they added Jeremy Meir to their missionary family, and they added Matt, the Bible translator, to their missionary family. So now they they support seven missionary families, and they do that one fella. He, he gives a bar of soap from his credit from the canteen a month, and which, eventually, which works out to be about a dollar a month. That's his mission giving. And I couldn't help but think about the widow who gave her two pence to the Lord. Um, well, um, Nathan, when I was there, asked me if I would preach to them Sunday night. Brother Terry, this wasn't part of the conference. It was their Sunday service. Brother Terry spoke... Sunday morning to them. He drove over during the church service and spoke. Um, I was able to teach for Josh because Josh had the flu, found out he had a flu B. And uh, I taught for Josh Sunday morning at First Baptist Church to his teenagers. That was fun. I enjoyed that. And then that afternoon, I drove back over to the prison myself, and I did the evening service. And I, I don't know why it was so different, but the evening service was a blast. It was just me and about 60 or 70 guys, and uh, I came down on the floor, and and, uh, I went through um, Daniel, and Daniel chapter 1, and talked about Daniel and his men and and their character and how God used them and tested them, and it was just a wonderful time. And so I really felt like, again, through your prayers, that God continued to do a work. It just wasn't dynamic and emotional like it was the year before. I felt like Satan was really fighting and oppressing and withstanding against the work of God, but God was having victory anyway. And I really believe it was because of your prayers. Since then, um, Nathan told me, I think it was last week, he told me on on JPay, that's the email system, 
that the church already in just a few weeks, the prisoners have given $1,015 to missions. So I praise the Lord for this conference. This conference was different, as I mentioned. It, it wasn't, you know, the, the elation and the excitement. It was more like work. But I do believe that God did a work. He did a work in several of the men. A lot of private conversations were where some of the men bore their soul to, to me and, and Jason and Terry and some of the other missionaries. The Lord was doing a work. Um, and again, it was through your prayer. But through this whole experience, I began to think about the work of God and what does or does not happen because of what Satan does and his, and his work to thwart the work of God. And I kind of want to talk about that this evening. Spiritual warfare, Satan standing against the work of God and our part in it. So I'd like to start by looking at the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. We don't go here too often. Daniel is a very rich book, a very exciting book. And in Daniel chapter 10, we have a very unusual story. Um, Daniel, in chapters 8 and 9 just received revelation about Babylon and about about Greece and about, um, I mean, Persia and about Greece and the Roman Empire and, and God's people all throughout history. God gave him the big picture, of a big prophetic picture of what's taken place, what's going to take place in history. And Daniel uh, becomes overwhelmed with care for his people. Because he sees the people in Babylon, the Jews, uh, most of them are very worldly, involved in business affairs, and, and, and really forgetting all about the temple and, and the promised land. And, and the group that went back to the promised land to build the temple, they were being attacked by the Samaritans, by Sanballat and Tobiah. And Daniel was really burdened for his people. In verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Allow me to read um, just a couple paragraphs from John Phillips' commentary on Daniel to better give you the sense of what's going on here. It says, Daniel's soul was grieved because of the spiritual condition of the Babylonian Jews who were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. They had no concern for the pioneers in Palestine, for the difficulties besetting them on every hand, for the dangers looming on the horizon, or for God's ancient people in an endemically hostile Gentile world. The visions of chapter 8 and 9 haunted Daniel. The times of the Gentiles were in full force. Who could tell when the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, or the Roman monster would turn savagely against God's chosen people? They were vulnerable, scattered abroad, dwelling at ease, careless about God's sovereign grace, which centuries earlier had opened the Gentile seas to allow them to go to dry shod, to go dry shod to the promised land. Who could tell how soon those seas would close in? He continues, and what of the small remnant of some 40 or 50,000 now back in Canaan? Surely God's good hand on them would secure their stake in the land. 
The temple and the city walls will assuredly be built. But what then? Daniel knew from the vision of the 77s that the expiration of the first seven of the sevens would make mark a crisis of some sort. Some kind of jubilee would occur. But what then? Daniel knew the uncertain temper of the Persian kings. He knew that Judah was a province so small as to be barely an administrative district at all. How would tiny Judah fare when faced with the monstrous Gentile forces yet to be loosed on the world? Who would pray for this people when he was gone? How would they be protected? And how long would their suffering last? He knew that 483 years, nearly five centuries, lay ahead before the coming of Christ. But then there was that ominous word about the Messiah being cut off. Did that expression turn the old saints' thoughts to Isaiah 53? What new depths of wickedness would engulf the Jewish people, who in times to come would deal so wickedly with God's own Christ? So Daniel fasted and prayed. And that's this chapter right here, chapter 10. Let's pick up again in verse number 2. It says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel didn't, he ate bread and water, that's basically it. He didn't eat anything that was enjoyable. In verse 4 it says, And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, which is the Tigris River, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. So after three weeks, Daniel is having this vision here. In verse 8, it says, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now I want us to pay particular attention to verse number 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Um, Chapters 11 and 12 are, in fact, an unfolding of what God was going to do during the inter- intertestamental period, the unfolding of what God was going to do 
with God's people there. So the, the angel is telling him this. And in verse 15 it says, uh, And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I, then I opened my mouth and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. I don't think in the Bible there's a clearer picture of spiritual warfare um, than right here in Daniel chapter 10. And I believe that oftentimes that we are involved in this life and we go through certain motions and we serve the Lord. But I think sometimes we, we forget the great struggle that's going on around us every day. Satan obviously is dead sent against the advancing kingdom of God. And everything that we do for God, uh, we fight against the flesh, of course, but Satan is fighting us tooth and nail. And when I say Satan, I'm speaking broadly. His kingdom is fighting against us. Notice the princes, the prince of Persia, the prince of Grecia. Uh, these are our demonic heads, hierarchical angels. And I believe we have proof of that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is fighting us when we make an effort to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know, to reach broken lives, Satan is fighting against us. Now there's an answer for us. Paul had a different kind of spiritual warfare in the sense that um, it wasn't necessarily that he saw an angel and heard a report about... Uh, fallen angels fighting against God's angels, but Paul's was men who were filled with the spirit of the devil. Uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it, but in Acts chapter 13 and verse 8, uh, Paul writes, but Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Um, he immediately, when Paul and Barnabas went out to preach the gospel, immediately there were there were enemies that Satan stirred up against them. Later on in 2 Timothy, Paul re refers to Alexander the coppersmith. He says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 and 15, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. 
Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Paul had those that were fighting against him. It's no wonder that Paul cries out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul, Paul besought the Thessalonians and us through the Holy Spirit to pray, to pray for missions, to pray for our missionaries, to pray for the work of God to advance for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spoken clearly and rooted in the hearts of men. Turn, if you will, over with me back to Ephesians. I read verse 12. But look with me over at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. And I think it's very clear the part that we have in resisting the devil when he withstands the work of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Look there where it says, watching thereunto with all perseverance uh, and supplication. That, that doesn't mean just praying casually. That doesn't mean just praying once. But that means praying like it's a job and praying and working at praying for specific prayer requests until the job is completed, until the prayers are answered. I think we see this picture further in James chapter 5. Turn with me to James chapter 5 and look at verses 16 and and 17. James chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, And pray one for another that ye may be healed. And then it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That, that word, those two words, effectual fervent is actually, those two words are actually one word in the Greek language. It's energeo and it's actually, um, the word where we get energy. Um, the, ener- the word energy, and effectual fervent prayer is actually a prayer of work, a working prayer, a prayer, the working prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The, the prayer that goes to God repeatedly and continually and fervently until the job is done, until the prayer is answered. And, and we can see that as we continue to read. Elias, it says, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. 
We won't take time to actually go back and look at the story, but I think all of us in here this evening are familiar enough with the story that we remember that Elijah went to King Ahab and told him that it wasn't going to rain. Well, apparently uh, God had told him that, but we learn from James, from the Holy Spirit, that Elijah prayed about that before he even went and saw the king, even though God told him to go tell the king. Well, then, of course, three and a half years later, they had the big contest on Mount Carmel, and uh, fire came down and burned up the sacrifice that was soaked with water, and Elijah went down and slew the the false prophets. And then um, Elijah went and told the king, get yourself ready, it's going to rain. Do you remember what happened after that? The Bible says that Elijah fell on his knees and put his face between his knees and he prayed. Now we know that he knew God was going to send rain. But Elijah prayed earnestly. He got on his knees and his face between his knees and he begged God for rain. And he looked up and he had his sermon, his his servant. He said, go look and see if... You know, if anything's changed, is, is, does it look like rain? And, uh, and the servant ran and came back and he said, nope, it doesn't look like rain. So Elijah then again puts his face between his legs and he beseeches God again for rain. And then he, he gets up again and he says, God, he says to the servant, look and see if God has given us rain. And the servant ran out and looked to see if it was raining, and it, it wasn't raining yet. You remember this, this, this lesson, the story? Seven times. On the seventh time, when Elijah had finished praying, he lifted up his face and he said, go look again. And the servant ran out and looked, and this time when he came back, he said, he said I saw a cloud, one little cloud in the sky. He said, and it looked like a man's hand. And it's almost as if God is giving us a picture that through prayer that Elijah was able to reach up and pull open the windows of heaven and the rain came. As soon as Elijah had heard that there was a cloud in the sky, he got up and he ran all the way to the capital in Samaria. And by the time he got there, the rains were coming after three years. My point is this is that for some reason, our God, our all-powerful God, our omniscient God, gives us the opportunity to be involved in the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ through prayer. And I'm here to tell you that if we do not take advantage, I don't have all the answers, the wife fours and the wherefores, But if we don't take advantage of this ministry of intercessory prayer that God has given to us, then the cause of Christ stalls. God gives us this ministry. Now, recently, you know, I served with bio, and we work with missionaries. And it it seems like in the last year or so, it seems like missionaries have been taking a lick over and over again. All of this I'm I'm putting together as I'm reflecting on the prison experience that we had this time and thinking about uh, our missionary to the Lakota Sioux, Kevin Berg. Kevin works on the Rosebud Reservation. I'm looking at my phone because I'm going to read a couple things that Kevin sent me. Um, 
when I was there on the Rosebud Reservation, I met one of his men. His name was Frank. That's all I'm going to say. Frank loved the Lord. His wife loved the Lord. They were involved in ministry in the church. And uh, this was something, this was someone you felt like, you know, the work of God can go forward with this kind of national native man. Um, this one man, Frank, um, his boys, out of eight sons, four of them have committed suicide. His wife, his wife has passed away. Alcohol, drug abuse. On the Rosebud Reservation, um, that, that is just, for lack of a better way to describe it, an absolutely broken people. Um, 83% of the population on the Rosebud experience some sort of violence. One-third of women are sexually assaulted. The meth rate, the drugs, the suicide, the statistics are sky high of broken people. Kevin and Stacy Berg have been there on the reservation for 17 years. Kevin has faithfully preached the word of God. He's knocked on doors as hard as that's been, often to drunk people. He's preached the gospel. He's been threatened. He's, he and his wife are constantly ridiculed and, and ostracized because, because of who they are, not being native. For 17 years, most of the times that Kevin's preached the word of God, it's been at funerals. People who have died of drug overdose, people who have died because they were killed in an automobile accident because of alcohol. My point is, is this. If the word of God is going to be advanced among the Lakota Sioux people, then it's going to have to be because some of us became serious about engaging the devil in praying for these people to be saved. Are you following? Do you understanding what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? It's not just up to the missionary to go and preach the gospel. It's for us to realize that there is a devil there with all his minions fighting with everything they can to prohibit the advance of the gospel among Native Americans in South Dakota. And unless we, unless we get alongside of them on our knees and pray like Elijah until the job's done, unless we pray consistently with perseverance, then Satan is going to have the victory. Can God give the victory? Absolutely. But the only thing that will make a difference in the lives of those people is the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and, and the gospel inflamed with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just one example. Brother Jason's asked us to pray for him and Kate. Do you think that this, and I know God is sovereign and God, the devil is, is the, the Lord's, is on the Lord's leash. I, I understand all of that. But do you think it's just coincidence that this cancer has come upon them as they prepare to go to Ethiopia? One of the, one of the darkest places in the world, the, the East Africa with all of the Muslim nations. And here's a man who speaks Arabic, 
very well and who's very familiar with Muslim, the Muslim faith and can, and can witness clearly to Muslims and get the truth to penetrate into their mind and their heart with the Holy Spirit's help? Do you think it's just a coincidence that Kate has cancer? And, I, and I'm saying I know God is in control, but I'm, I'm saying also that some of us need to come together and covenant together to pray earnestly, to pray with perseverance for God to do a work so that this couple can go and proclaim the, the wonderful name of Jesus to these people who are blind and lost, these Somalians, these, these Yemenis, these Djibouti uh, people from Djibouti. These, these people have never heard the lovely name of Jesus. And here's a man ready to go and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I dare say that it's coincidence. And, and I'm just pouring out my heart as, you know, as uh, a missionary with bio, as hearing missionaries all the time. Um, a missionary called me yesterday. Um, he, he ministers in a country that's 93% Buddhist. And he's been laboring at, in that field for 20 years with just a handful of converts. And he's discouraged. And he's, he's come home and he doesn't want to go back. Maybe if I would have prayed for him more, maybe if we would have prayed for him more, there would have been more success. There would have been a greater advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying here this evening? This, this work, uh, it was no, there was a reason why the prison ministry that we experienced this time was completely different than the one we experienced last year. And it was because Satan was there alive and well, waiting to squelch any movement, any, any forward movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hearts and minds of those. You think he wants those prisoners right with God and, and, uh, giving money to missions around the world and praying for missionaries? Absolutely not. So I'm just kind of sharing my heart here this evening, and and I want to encourage us to, I don't have time to read it, but I, I brought a, a book that has an allegory about the devil and his minions rallying together to fight the advances of the gospel. It's true, that's what Satan is doing all over the world, and it's up to God's people for us to get serious in our in our prayer. I know we're busy and I know there's many distractions, but but uh, I've decided through this as uh, Pastor Mark asked me to to speak, I, it just all came together. I'm going to start at bio at every Tuesday at 7 in the morning every as long as I'm here. If not, maybe somebody else can do it. But every morning at 7 a.m., I'm going to go over there and, in the bio basement and pray for our missionaries. And I open it up to anyone here that wants to come and join me at 7 in the morning. I'll have, I'll have some coffee and maybe some refreshments. But I, I want to see God's people get serious about praying earnestly, effectually, and fervently with perseverance for our missionaries. I believe with all my heart that as this world becomes increasingly wicked and as the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ gets closer and closer, 
that Satan is fighting with everything he can to prevent the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward. And God has invited us to participate with him in the ministry of prayer. And like Paul, like Paul, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. We enjoy church here on Sunday. We have a wonderful time. We get to hear the word of God freely. There are so many people around the world who don't have a church to attend, who have never heard the lovely name of Jesus, who don't have a Bible to read and, and enjoy. And that's Paul's prayer, and that's, that's my heart tonight that I want to share with you in correlation with the report from the mission at the prison. Anyway, I hope um, that encourages you, and I'm serious, beginning this Tuesday, if anyone wants to join me Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock, it's not going to be praying for anything but missionaries. So um, let's stand with our feet and, and let's close in a word of prayer. Father, this